Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the rider. I'm Damon Martin. He's Matt Brown and Matt. We are back after another UFC weekend going into another UFC weekend. I think I probably said every week for the show with UFC going on. And then uh, this weekend, we also got your favorite boxer in the world's coming back. Jake Paul fighting Tommy Fury on Sunday. No, I thought you were going to say Tommy Fury was my favorite. boxer. <laughs> <laughs> I know you love Jake Paul. Come on now. Yeah, he's kind of grown on me a little bit. I got to tell you. Yeah, so Matt, what's going on? Obviously, uh, we made the big announcement on the show last week. Your fight is booked May 13th, Court McGee. Uh, we're we're going to kind of do some of these episodes as we get closer to the fight, you know, kind of call them Fight Camp Podcast, where we're going to focus in on your fight and the training you're doing and things like that. I'm probably, hopefully going to come up to your gym and stuff, but uh, it's weird to say Fight Camp for you because you never really stop training. So, like, what is the, what's the biggest difference between, like, normal Matt Brown training and training camp Matt Brown? Um, the intensity and focus of training, right? Like it's uh, like, a, of course, I never stop training, but the training is much different when there's not a fight, right? Like I'm, maybe I'll do a few rounds and then like I get a little tired, like, all right, I'm going to call it a day. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I just don't feel like training tonight. So maybe I'll just go for a light jog or something. Um, and then when it gets into camp, there's, you know, it doesn't matter how you feel anymore. It's about you go in and you do what you got to do. And, and then, um, you know, the other part is the types of training partners that um, would bring into the camp where instead of, you know, you just kind of going with whoever's at the gym and hanging out with everybody and having a good time. It's like, no, we bring in guys and, you know, we're telling them to, well, my coaches are telling them to try to kill me, especially Coleman, right? Like he's, a, <laughs> he's like, pick it up, pick it up, you know, always pushing them harder um, to try to get at me and get me tired and break me. Yeah. Coleman's in there throwing the hammer hat, the hammer house uh, heavy bag at you in training camp. That's what you know the difference, right? He absolutely <laughs> is. <laughs> and, 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 I tell you what, he probably changes more than just about anybody, man. Like he, you know, he's, he's always a pretty intense guy and pretty fired up. But when training camp comes, you know, and when you got that fight booked and you, you got the contract signed, he's another level, man. He, um, that's something, you know, it's a lot, man. <laughs> you know, he's, he gets you really fired up. 
we got to get Coleman on the show soon. I feel like we have to do that. I know we keep talking about doing that. I feel like we got to get Coleman on before this fight. Yeah, I just keep procrastinating with it. You know, we'll get him on for sure. You know, yeah. Uh, and he's the type of guy you got to just get him at the right day, right time. And he'll be like, all right, let's go. And rather than you try to set a plan or a schedule or something, <laughs> it's going to get fucked up nine out of 10 times. Yeah, Coleman, it's funny. It's so funny the switch he hits, though, because, like, when you talk, Coleman's always kind of an intense dude, and he'd be a great storyteller, funny guy, great guy. But, man, I've seen him in the gym with you. Like, when it's time to train, he turns it up a notch. He definitely cranks it up a couple times. Because I was up there the one time you were training with Mickey Gall, and you guys were doing rounds up there, and I was watching Coleman train and and coach, and I was like, geez, man, he just hits another level. Yeah, and I'd say even more now because he's feeling great. He's sober. He's on the liver king diet the nine ancestral tennis living it up eating carnivore and uh you know it's doing well for him man he's got a new inspiration in his life and he's just fired up every day now feeling great and it's just amazing you like the genetics that he has man at 55 years old he's dropping weight so fast he's already got some, some abs showing through and um I mean, you feel him grab you like you just never felt a, you know, unless you've actually wrestled with a gorilla, like you've never <laughs> felt strength like that. Man. And it's just, it's amazing, you know, 10 years plus of, you know, really bad alcoholism and, um, you know, surgeries and not training. And then he comes in and grabs you after 10 years of all that. And you're like, dude, you didn't lose a fucking step, man. <laughs> like it's, it's insane. Yeah, dude, he's uh, he's like a, a freakish. He's one of those freakish athletes. Like where when he when he turns it on, he uh, he really turns it on. Like he really can turn things around. Like he looks he looks in great shape already. Like he's been posting photos on his Instagram and stuff since he did the Liver King thing. I'm like, geez, man, like he's already like looking great. Yeah, and he's talking about getting a celebrity boxing match or something now. I mean, <laughs> he, he, you you can tell, man. His he's just a competitor at heart through and through like you cannot take that out of him like he wants to compete um and i think like when he was drinking and going through all that like it was a competition to him like how much can i drink how much more can i put in me and um so i, I think it's the best thing in the world for him and it's just great to see that energy come out of him absolutely well yeah we got we got a few months till the fight of course so we're gonna be doing some more focused in fight camp stuff closer we're also going to debut our new segment this week ask matt brown advice we got a couple of good topics actually got a bunch of questions uh but i'm going to narrow it down to two this week uh, we got one actually about the sport and then i got some some love advice questions for you matt someone wants some some dating advice from matt brown i was i was itching i put it out there and said i gotta get some dating advice questions from matt brown because it seems like people don't you know people think you as this intense fighter you know just you know fucking savage and you know you're you're a lover as well matt you're you're a lover and a fighter and i think people need to take this dating advice seriously from you interesting you say that but <laughs> I, I consider myself a good lover and good romantic and all, i'm not sure I guess you tell seeing. me you tell me you tell me that when we talk about your we talk about your hideaway down in uh, tennessee and you're like you know i'm i'm a badass but uh you know i'm fucking lover too <laughs> it's a, it's the side I mean, of, it's the side of matt brown that most fans will never see no, you know, no, only one person's going to see it. And that's the lady. But, <laughs> but I, it is. It, I guess I find it interesting that people would want to ask me for advice on that. Right? Like, <laughs> like how? Like you don't have very many good people in your life huh? if you're asking me. <laughs> but maybe they do. Maybe maybe I'm not seeing it from their perspective. You know, um, I do think that I have some good things i could probably tell them so we'll we'll find out though it depends on the question i guess 
yeah, we'll get in. We'll definitely get into that uh, a little bit later. Uh, this past weekend, of course, the UFC card. Did you watch the UFC card, Matt? Did you see the fights? I watched the main event. So the card was real bad. Um, the the whole main card, except for Jim Miller and Alexander Hernandez, was real bad. The main event was great, but the main the other three fights, sorry, were really bad. I unfortunately um, missed the Jim Miller fight. I'm a huge fan of his, and I wanted to watch that fight. I usually try to watch all of his fights. Um, I, I did miss that, though. Um, tell me what your thoughts were on that fight. I'd like to hear. I actually scored it for Jim Miller. Now, that's not a knock on Alexander Hernandez. It was a close fight. I thought it was 29-28 Jim, but I don't have a problem with that. It's kind of like the... You know, we, it, it wasn't a robbery or anything like that. It's just one of those fights where I kind of edged it towards Jim Miller. I thought he came back uh, in the in the later part of the third round. He ended up getting on top. He ended up getting a, a back position on Hernandez and almost had him a choke for about a minute, maybe two minutes. And I thought that helped him win the round. To his credit, Alexander Hernandez did come back and hit some good punches towards the end. But it was a close fight. I thought it was 29-28 either way. Don't have a problem with the result. But Jim still sticking in there and credit to Alexander Hernandez. He took the fight on like a week's notice and he put up a damn good fight. He went out there and blasted Jim with some good shots. Jim was still in there taking it. I mean, it was a really, really good fight. A little surprised, even though there was a good fight on the prelims, I was a little surprised it didn't get fight of the night too. Like it was a really, really good scrap. Oh, wow. Who got fight of the night? Uh, it was on the prelims, Evan Elder, and I can't remember the kid's name he fought. It's the fight that ended with the uh, the cut. He had that really gnarly cut over his eyebrow at the start of the third round. And it was a good fight. Don't get me wrong. Like, it's not that it, that wasn't a good fight. I just thought maybe Jim Miller and Alexander Hernandez got it. Like, they just, I mean, they were just beating the hell out of each other the first couple of rounds. Um, but yeah, again, no, no, no big deal. But yeah, Jim looked good, man. You know, he wants to fight to UFC 300. That's creeping up around the corner. I mean, we're already at UFC, you know, we already got plans for UFC 287 coming up in a, in a couple of months. So we're going to hit UFC 300 before too long. Yeah. Maybe I'll get there too. I like it. I like it. And then of course the main event, Aaron Blanchfield, man, boy, I tell you what she, everyone, I'll be honest. When she was fighting Tyler Santos, I thought that's a fight Aaron could definitely win. Tyler Santos is good, but we didn't really understand how good Tyler Santos was until she took Shevchenko to a split decision. No one was really hyping Tyler Santos up until after that fight. Everyone knows how good Jessica Andrade is. That woman is a monster. She is a savage. She is a beast. And Aaron Blanchfield, I mean, she took it to her on the feet. And then one takedown, and she wrapped up that rear naked choke. That was a na- that was a statement making performance. Yeah, I agree. I thought that she looked really good and just did all the right things, and especially to Jessica Andrade. And my big question was, you know, was Andrade coming in on a week's notice? Was she in there at her best? You know, that's the I think where the big question is, and um, she certainly looked herself i thought so you know i didn't see any signs of uh, major fatigue or anything but i don't just don't know if maybe she thought she was just going to walk over her or maybe she was just sitting there for a paycheck or you know maybe all the above i'm not sure yeah i mean she fought a few weeks ago and obviously laid the beat down on lauren murphy which we talked about on the show so it wasn't like she had been out for a few months like she just fought a month ago so it wasn't too bad in terms of timing, but she didn't look bad. Like she and she yeah, had good moments. She had good moments in the first round. She landed some punches in the first round. Yeah. But I think for me personally, I don't think it was that that Andrade maybe wasn't a hundred percent or she didn't look like herself. I think what really surprised her, me, and pretty much everyone watching was that Aaron stood up with her and actually did okay in that first yeah. round. Like I don't think anyone saw that coming. Yeah, I agree. And sometimes I think also coming in, um, you, you know, only fighting a month ago 
isn't always necessarily um, you're not necessarily going to be at your best either when that happens, right? Like you, you know, you didn't have the time to fully prepare. You can lose a lot of money. I don't know what she was doing in that month off and how much of a, um, you know, adrenaline dump did she have after the last fight, you know? And, and there's a lot of things we don't see in there too, that you don't know the types of bumps and bruises that she had. There's just a lot more to that um, than just assuming that she's in shape because she fought a month ago. So that, that's what I really don't know, but we have to assume that she wasn't, oh, excuse me. We have to assume that she was in good shape and we have to assume that she was ready because she took the fight and she stepped in there. Um, and Aaron Blanchfield fucking put on a performance. And, you know, like you said, when uh, on the feet, that was where she really shined. I mean, she made Andrade, uh, she took her uh, good shots from Andrade and also landed her own good shots. So, and obviously, like once she got the takedown, I mean, it was just a, it was easy. I mean, it was a, it looked like a black belt versus white belt. Yeah, it was crazy. And, you know, I know we have, and we're going to talk about it next week on the show. Of course, we got Valentina Shevchenko taking on Alexa Grasso in the UFC 285 co-main event. I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm disrespecting Alexa Grasso. I think she's an incredibly good fighter. Um, I got to be honest, though, I don't think that's a great stylistic matchup for her because she's primarily a boxer and Valentina is just a nasty Muay Thai striker. I think that's kind of a bad matchup for Grasso. So I'm really favoring Shevchenko in that fight, but I'll be honest, like for the first time since Shevchenko became champion, like there's finally a contender in my mind, Matt, where I'm kind of like, Ooh, man, like this is not a fight that I could just automatically give to Valentina like there was a there was a little bit of that when she fought Jessica Andrade you know going into that Andrade should come in and just absolutely I think she just blew through Caitlin Chukagan looked incredible got the title shot we knew how good she was and so there was a little bit of that in that fight and then you know Shevchenko went out there and just demolished her inside two rounds but this is the first time in a long time where there's a new challenger someone we haven't really seen at this level yet where I'm kind of like, you know what? Like, this is a person who could potentially dethrone Valentina. And I haven't had that feeling with Valentina since she became champion. I agree. And because Aaron is young and she's fiery and she has a lot of skill and she's confident. And her confidence must have went through the roof after beating Andrade like that. And I'll tell you what, Aaron is good on the ground. And Shevchenko, as good as she is on the feet, she doesn't win all of her fights just on the feet. She takes people down and grapples them a lot and overpowers them and, you know, outgrapples them. I don't think that's going to be an easy task for her with Blanchfield. Now, on the feet, I don't think she's – I don't I don't see – I didn't see anything last weekend that showed me where on the feet Aaron's going to have any – real threats to the Shevchenko. And I, and that's kind of where I would expect Shevchenko to try to keep this fight this time is on the feet and which, you know, she does a lot of times anyways, but I expect her to try to keep us on the feet. And now if it goes to the ground though, can she hang with Blanchfield on the ground? I'm not sure that she can. It's, it's an interesting matchup because again, for the first time in a long time, it feels like there's like a legitimate threat to Valentina yes. Shevchenko at flyweight, which is good. That's what you want. You don't, you know, you don't want, you know, she's going for her eighth title defense next week. And, you know, she's been a heavy favorite in every fight and credit to Tyler Santos for taking her to a split decision. That was a weird fight. And again, I'm not making excuses. Valentina went in there with an injured foot and she didn't look herself. I mean, she wasn't moving on the feet very well. She was real, like real, like standing in cement kind of on her stand up. Yeah. And that's not normally how Valentina fights. So like that's not taking anything away from Tyler Santos. That's just saying that 
even watching that fight before I knew about the injury, I was like, something doesn't look right with Valentina. Like, she's not moving the way she yeah. normally moves. And, yeah. again, and she still looks. And tell me this, Damon. When when we first heard of Andrade versus Blanchfield, did you not feel the way that I felt in that Blanch this is a step too fast for Blanchfield? This was going to be too much for her. She's in too deep. We knew that she had the talent. We knew she had the skill to maybe be champion one day. But is she in over her head finally? Did she is she moving up too fast? Is this too much for? Her? And we were completely wrong. I, I imagine you probably felt the same way, right? Hundred percent. I thought it was too much too soon. Honestly, weirdly, I thought she had a better shot against Santos than she did against Andrade. I was like, mm -hmm. Santos, Santos is good, but again, Santos was get Santos became kind of like a a challenger, a real contender by losing a split decision to the champion. We we didn't have a resume on Santos before that. We we're like, ooh man, she's a killer. Um, we know what Andrade can do, and she just did it to Lauren Murphy a few weeks ago. Absolutely beat the brakes off her for three rounds in a fight that you and I were like probably should have been stopped after two. So yeah, mm -hmm. I was with you. I was like, yeah, this might be a, you know too much too soon, man. Like, I don't know. And boy, boy, did she prove everybody wrong with that one? I was blown away. Like now, like I'm like, yep, give her the title shot. Like, you know, yeah. I don't have any doubts about it now. Like, you, well, now I don't it care. makes me wonder. Now my question is: Is the title shot too soon for? Her? And again, from the, her performance last weekend, she didn't look nervous, or you know, at least overly nervous. She didn't look too intimidated. She didn't look out of place in there, right? She looked like she belonged in there with Andrade. Is she going to look the same way with Shevchenko? And if she does, you know, she could. She poses a true challenge. And and then the next question becomes: Okay, if she loses to Shevchenko, was it just too soon for? Her? And can we give her a couple years? Like I see her, you know, Shevchenko probably doesn't have that many years left. Maybe she does. I don't know, but she's been defending for a long time. She's a great champion. All the champions fall one time, right? At some yeah. point, they all, they all start to fall off. Is Blanchfield the future, whether or not she wins against Shevchenko or not? Yeah, I think so. I mean, she's 23, you know, she's got so right. much time. Like, and that's the thing, like, that's why I was with you. I was like, this might be a little bit too much too soon, but even if she loses to Shevchenko now or later this year or whatever, I mean, she's 23. She's got yeah, so she's much time. Yet. No, not at all. That's why I said, I was like, I don't know, man, this might be a little bit too much too soon. Well, of course she proved me wrong, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, 23 and, and, and already this good. Imagine what she's going to be like in two years. I mean, remember, you know, we got a guy coming back in two weeks, John Jones, who I've said many times, I think is the greatest of all time. You know, when he beat Shogun at 23, like I was like, I knew John Jones was really good, but there's still a little bit of question, right? Like a little bit of a question going into like when he's running, you know, when he first gets that run, you're like, is he ready? Cause he hadn't truly been tested at that point. He'd won a lot of good fights, beat Brandon Vera, beat Ryan Bader, guys like that. But you're still kind of like, is he really ready? Is he ready for that next step? Right. Boy, was he ready. So uh, Blanchfield seems to be in a similar position. And uh, yeah, I'm with you. Even if she loses, like, I still think she's got plenty of time to develop into an absolute savage. And she's already pretty much a savage. So uh, exactly. it'll be interesting to see. I, again, I don't want to discount Alexa Grosso's chances in, at UFC 285. I just, I don't like, I don't like her chances in that fight. Yeah, it's an uphill battle for her. That's for sure. But. Um, you know, this is MMA, man. We're speaking of John Jones. Did you see the video the other day of the guy trying to come at him, whatever? And uh, yeah, the, at the sign or whatever. Bro, I swear to God, John Jones is the most ice cold motherfucker I ever seen. And he <laughs> said, "Do not hold him back. Let him go." <laughs> and dude, like that said, chills down my spine. I was like, "Can you imagine, like John Jones saying that?" Like, 
like, this guy had no fucking clue, man. <laughs> Could you just imagine the most ice cold thing to say? Could you imagine being the idiot that wants to challenge John Jones at a freaking like signing or whatever your appearance he was doing? Like, how dumb do you like? Listen, we haven't really had a lot of these conversations on the show before. And I know we've talked about off the air. We talked about our old podcast. Like there are moments when there are idiots out there who want to challenge a pro fighter. Like it happens in bars and restaurants. It, it rarely, but you know, and I know, you know, obviously a lot of fighters don't put themselves in that situation. They don't go out to those kind of places, but it does happen. But I'm always, I always marvel at that. Like the idiots that actually think it's a good idea. To do that now, it's yeah, listen. Like, what is a street fight? This is no <laughs> rules here, bro. Yeah, and and then like I'm not saying like we always talk about there's levels to this game. Like imagine doing that and then doing it to John Jones, six <laughs> foot four, probably two fifty right now, absolute savage monster. I mean, good God, how dumb do you have to be to step in there and be like, let's go, bro? Like really? And and realistically, when you talk about guys that you would fight on the street. You know, there's certain, like, say, like, GSP. Like, I, w- I feel like mo- people would have a better chance in a street fight against GSP than, obviously, like, in a ring. Right? Like, he's a clean, nice guy. Like, he's not even going to try to hurt you in a street fight, right? Like, he's probably going to do his best to get – you're talking John fucking Jones. Bro. <laughs> like, he's going to literally murder you in a fucking street fight and not care. Like, he is a, an ice-cold motherfucker, bro. Yeah, that's, like, the last guy you want to test, right? Like, do, like that is – like GSP's gonna choke you and you know do jujitsu and he's gonna be really nice to you. But okay, buddy, like you know don't do that again, okay? <laughs> like John Jones is gonna end your fucking life, bro. Yeah, he's gonna elbow your head into the concrete and you're gonna quit. You're gonna wake up not remembering who you are in the morning. Like that's he, dude. Yeah. That's a that dude's on another. And like I said, he's sick. It's it, and this is not like a knock on GSP, but John Jones is six foot four, two fifty. Like this yeah. is not a welterweight doing this. This is a true heavyweight. Even when he was a light heavyweight, he was a heavyweight like walking around. Uh, this is not the dude you want to test. Like I've still used. I don't know how much you've been around John. I've been around John a lot. I'm six foot three. John's bigger than me. Like John is a big freaking dude. He is a monster. That is the last guy I'd be thinking in the back of my head. Can I take him? Can I take him? No, you can't take him. You moron. You cannot take John Jones. Yeah. It just cracked me up, man. He said, he said, let him go. Don't hold him back. (laughs) Dude, that that was fucking ice cold, man. I loved it. How about like in that moment? Like, cause you know, you know that that guy I don't know. Like, I don't know the situation. I don't know what he was trying to prove. I don't know what's going on. But like, you got to imagine when you pull something like that at a big signing, there's going to be security there to pull you back. Right. Like they're going to get him. There's no way. There's no way on earth you're going to get that close to actually do something. Could you imagine the reaction that guy has internally when he's like, you know, trying to make, I'm, he's trying to show himself, trying to be a big badass, and and John's like, come on, <laughs> he's like, he's like, let him go. Could you imagine how quickly your balls would run up inside of your body when John Jones is like, let him go? That's what I'm saying, man. And you could you could look at John Jones in there, and you could tell like his blood pressure didn't even go up. He was just like, let him go, get him. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would have been like John would have been John would have been two John would have been two and zero because he would have destroyed that guy and then he gets Cyril gone in a couple weeks. Like, could you imagine like how bad like street fights generally are pretty bad anyways? Like how quickly they last? They're usually pretty they're usually pretty quick. Uh, That one, what does that last? Like eight seconds as long as it takes John Jones land an elbow and that guy's head's caved in. It just depends on how long John Jones wanted to last. He might make the guy fucking suffer. You know, like 
he might just lat drop him and sit on top of him and put drive his elbow into his eyeballs. You know? <laughs> like, like I could see that too. You know, making it last until the guy just starts saying "uncle." Yeah, that's like you said. That's a different level when he's like, "Let him go," and you're just like, "Oh shit, what did I just do?" <laughs> so intense, man. I loved it. Have you ever had anyone try to test you in a bar? You know what? Like, I've never really experienced that, man. Really? No, I don't know what. Yeah, it's a, um, I know lot, lots of my friends that are fighters and stuff. They said they've experienced it. For one, I don't put myself in that position. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I've never really experienced it. Yeah, it's weird because I just like I I've got to figure you've got to have a screw loose if you're doing that. Like, it's one thing if you get into a you get into a, a mix up with a fighter over something else going on, but like to willingly and knowingly target a fighter and think you're going to beat them is just such a, such a dramatically dumb idea. Like it is like, this is what you do for a, like, this, I just, it just like, I, I understand like you bump into each other. You, there's a girl involved. There's other things that like, I understand those situations may come up where you may end up getting into like a, a fight with somebody that you shouldn't be in a fight with. That happens. I get that. But like to go in a bar and say, Oh, Matt Brown's right there. I'm going to go challenge that dude. Yeah. Good. Good luck. Have fun with that. So, and send me the, send me the hospital bill. So I can see the litany of injuries you got to recover from after that. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Wrong guy, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I've been in a lot of street fights in my life, so I'm prepared for that. Also, it's, uh, you know, that's what most of these drunk idiots say. Uh, you know, oh, it's a street fight. You know, there's no rules. You don't know how to fuck with that or whatever. And it's like, bro, like, I've been in at least, you know, 30, 40 street fights in my life. You know, I've had my ass kicked in street fights and I've won street fights. I know how to handle myself on the streets too, buddy. And so, or the other guys like, yo, I'll just shoot them or something. And it's like, I actually practice shooting too, buddy. So, <laughs> you know, and my reaction time might be a little bit faster because, um, yeah, this that's what I do for a living, bro. That's the scary. I do. I did a story a couple months ago on Houston Alexander. You remember Houston, right? UFC fighter now fighting BKFC. Yeah. I did a story on him where he was talking about fighting bare knuckle. And I asked him, I was like, when was the last time you got in a bare knuckle fight before you were in BKFC? And he's like, it's funny you asked me that story. And he told me that years ago, before he got into UFC, he had gone to a bar and some dude slapped a girl at the bar. And so him and the bouncers were like, dude, you got to get out of here. Like, you no, that doesn't fly here. And the dude tried to swing on him. And so he ended up grabbing the dude and a tie clinch and need him in the face like 10 times. It just completely bludgeoned the dude. And then they kind of rushed everybody out the door. And before he knew what happened, the guy had slipped away from him and the guy, like he heard a gunshot go off and he's like, what happened? And, and Houston got shot in the leg mm. and he didn't realize, he didn't realize what had happened. The guy pointed a gun and someone grabbed a gun, but the gun still went off and he ended up getting shoot, shot in the leg. And he ended, you know, he, he was okay. He didn't, you know, he didn't get charged or anything like nothing crazy like that. The guy got arrested, I guess, but, um, yeah, like that's that's the other reason. Like that's why I never put myself in those situations. Like I'm not the dude. Like you know, I don't, I don't, I avoid trouble if I can do it. You know, and that's why right there, dumb shit like that can happen. Like you could think you're yeah. handling a situation. He was beating the hell out of this guy, and then gun comes out, and then he got shot. Like no, I'm I'm good. Like that's why I don't put myself in those situations. Yeah, I'm right there with you. There's, and if you're in a situation like that, then you know you you set yourself up for that situation, right? You're in some sort of uh, bar or something, you know, like I just stay out of that shit. Like, you know, they're, they're only go to bars for two reasons to get laid or to get in a fight. You know? <laughs> I mean, 
you know, I, I, well, a lot of people, you know, most people try to go just to have fun right, and get drunk with their buddies, whatever. But it always ends up with, you know, once you're drunk, you're either getting laid or getting in a fight. <laughs> and that's what you say when, when I was young, I would be like, we're going, we're going to get a fight and fucking tonight. Right? And that's, yeah, that's how it yeah. goes. That's, like, that's, yeah, I, yeah, that's just, that's like the, the mentality, you know, of a young male with a lot of testosterone, right? Like it's good. That testosterone's coming out one way or another. And he's either going to be with a girl or with a guy. <laughs> you're gonna get, you're gonna get some, you're gonna get some aggression out one way or the other. Uh, speaking of John Jones, did you see this thing? I love I loved it. It was weird because like I was wondering, but like this whole thing that happened with John and Daniel Cormier. Did you see this thing online where John? There people were asking Daniel about commentating on John's fight because we all know Daniel Cormier and John Jones have a long history together. A huge rivalry, one of the biggest, you know, probably one of the nastiest rivalries in, in UFC history. And and he was asked about it. And and John sincerely said, I think you do a great job. I know you won't be biased. Like you're welcome to commentate my fight. And then DC and I, yeah, I know I know DC more than I know John Jones, although I've known John Jones a little longer. Um DC was like, I couldn't tell if he was being serious or he was trying to mess with me a little bit. And John's like, no, I was being sincere. Like genuinely, like I root for you. I think you're a good guy. You're representative for our sport, ambassador of sport, please. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, you know, like two huge rivals, guys that clearly did not like each other competitively. They were at the absolute top of the food chain. And like for that moment, I was kind of like, ah, oh, a little kumbaya. I was like, this is kind of cool to see them kind of like squash the beef and just because why, why I don't understand why there needs to be a Daniel's re- retired. You know what I mean? DC is still retired. They're not going to fight again. Like they don't need to be rivals. Now I just, I don't know. I love that. I, I thought, I thought it showed like a lot of maturity from John and uh, it was cool. Like I was like kind of applauding that like, good, put this behind you and move on and, 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 uh, and do your jobs. John's fighting for the heavyweight title. DC is one of the best commentators in the game. You know, it's cool. I was, I was just glad to see them kind of squash that beef. Yeah. And I think John realizes that, right? Like he's focused, I think. And that's, you know, he doesn't have an easy challenge coming up with gun. I think he realized that he's focused on, he's not letting something else come into his mind as a, as a distraction. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, they, a lot of people were talking about DC being biased, which I, I disagree. Now I do think that it's hard for fighters doing commentary when they're commentary, when they're doing commentary on a teammate or a training partner, not to use that knowledge, which I think you've got to use your knowledge for that. And it's impossible to avoid because as I've learned doing the show with you, Matt, like you've trained with everybody. Like I had no idea until, you know, a month ago or two months ago that you trained with Israel Adesanya. Like I didn't know that. Uh, you trained with a lot of people. So it's kind of built into the nature of the sport that you're going to be training with people. And you might be a little like, you know, Daniel, Daniel might seem to be a bit more biased towards Islam Makachev because they've trained together for years and he's a teammate and a, and a training partner of him to this day. You know, Paul Felder trains with Sean Brady. Guy, you know, that happens all the time. I'm curious for you, Matt, like you've fought on pay-per-views, you fought on fight nights, you fought, you know, with a lot of different, do you like, cause I know some fighters, like, I won't say they're, they're upset at a commentary team. Like they're going to say, I don't want this guy commentating my fights, but you've seen the stories. I know you have where people like fighters get upset at some of the commentary that said during their fights, I've done stories on it where people are like mad at Rogan or mad at DC or mad at whoever, because it makes it seem like they're, they're commentating like in a one-sided fashion towards an opponent or, or not giving credit to the other guy or girl or whatever. I'm curious in your history, do you, do you pay much attention to commentary in your fights like afterwards or, or days later, like you hear when you rewatch the fight, like, do you ever hear that? Do you ever care? I absolutely do. And when I watch the fights, a lot of times the commentary give you a little bit of insight, maybe what you were doing wrong, things that you could have done. Um, especially like, cause 
Uh, Cormier in particular is very critical. Uh, I think when, uh, at least, you know, from my experience watching my own fights, like he's very critical of the techniques that you're using and things that you could be doing or should be doing. Um, and, and maybe some people would take that uh, defensively. Um, I take it as a positive, right? Like I can learn from it and I can grow from it and I can use it. Um, you know, like if I look at it as like Cormier's coaching me right now, you know, and there's that's things that I could be doing better. Um, there has been other times uh, where guys have commentated and I think that they just didn't understand what I was doing or um, maybe, you know, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's about it. They just didn't understand what I was doing and why I was doing what I was doing. And, um, you know, that can be, that can certainly bother you if you let it. Um, but I also understand they have a hard job. Like I've commentated before, you know, on like smaller, smaller, regional shows it's fucking hard man especially like you're sitting there for you know three four hours and talking about all these fights like sometimes you just gotta say shit <laughs> you know <what> i mean <laughs> sometimes you just gotta talk right and um you know you gotta find things to talk about the whole time so you know i do have sympathy for him on that part there was only one time when i really didn't like the commentaries when i was fighting uh Diego Lima and Michael Bisping was commentating and he was talking about some of the bad things that I was doing. And it, and it kind of like what I was just saying before, I think he just didn't understand what I was doing. Um, you know, what, like his, you know, the one thing that I, I, I would like commentators to maybe realize is that like there, there is no right way to do things, right? There's your way, there's my way, right? So that, you know, they all are, everybody's going to be a little bit biased towards the way they were taught. Right, like Cormier, you know, talks a lot about wrestling, right? And how, you know, if you're doing, if you're in a wrestling position, he's going to tell you the way that um, his way is, right? Or, you know, and you can't argue with Cormier's way. He's a fucking silver medalist, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, th there is times where I certainly feel that. But, you know, again, I, a lot of times I think they just don't understand, right? Because I'm coming from, I'm seeing it from a different perspective than they are. But I also understand you got to talk, right? You got to say something. And sometimes, um, you know, criticism is warranted. So even like with the Bisping situation, can I imagine you didn't get like irate and like confront him afterwards or anything like that? Like that wasn't that big of a thing, just like a kind of a. No, uh, no, 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 it, would, it wouldn't be anything like that. And I, I wouldn't, you know, if I seen Bisping, like I wouldn't say so. Oh, you fucking fucked up my commentary or some <laughs> shit. You know, like, like again, I, I have, I'm sympathetic towards what they're doing, and Bisping is great at what he does. It was just a, you know, I think there, there is times when, you know, I, I again, it's hard. It's a hard job. Um, you know, I, I think that the best commentators. You know, like like Joe Rogan, I think is probably the best of all time, right? And he's good at saying what they're doing without it sounding critical, right? He's just a, very good at wording things without sounding critical. And um, you know, other guys aren't. Like Bisping is a critical guy, right? Like that's who he is. That's his that's his personality, right? So. I think that yeah. also, I would imagine that also, probably also goes into like having like fighters do it versus like, cause Joe Rogan trains, yes. like Joe Rogan knows the sport, right? Like he knows the sport. I know the sport. I've trained the sport. Like I'm in Joe Rogan's. I'm not, I don't train. I'm not at Joe Rogan's level in that way. I'm not a black belt in jujitsu. I'm just saying like, I'm that way. Like I haven't fought, you know what I mean? But I know the sport. But you get a Bisping or a Cormier or a Dominic Cruz or, or, or you know, any of those guys in there, 
they know so you're right like they're gonna like the technique they use they might think that's the right way to do it they're not speaking out of malice they're not doing it like exactly. as a they're not doing it because they dislike you they're just doing it because the way they did it was different than the way you did it and so they try to like use that and i get it that's because i'm sure if you had to get stuck on commentary for seven hours you would probably do the same thing when someone threw an exactly. elbow and you'd say well this is not how i would throw an elbow this is not you know because you're like the elbow king like that you know what i mean so um i i always i always get a, i always like i always tend to back up the commentators and i've done interviews i've done stories with michael bisping and daniel cormier and guys like that i always tend to because i know deep down none of them do it with malice they're none of them are doing it because they dislike you or because they don't want you to win or i don't i don't believe that could there be a fighter who would do that sure but i think you weed that out and we really do get kind of the best of the best guys doing the job and i just i'd like does it sound like maybe they're being biased sometimes sure it does i'm not gonna lie there's some fights where i'm like what are they watching like come on now like this is not as one-sided but again it's not an easy job dude i remember when i was in college um they they did like a test like commentary for sports and it was just like a fun little exercise like in broadcastings i was working at a radio station and they decided to test us out and show us how to do it and dude i did it for like 30 minutes and i was like sweating bullets it is so hard to like because you have to make up a lot of idle chatter you know you have to like just talk about the sport in general and the guy it's just a it's not an easy job like it is not easy and you're there for i mean you've been to a fight car before you're there for eight hours for a fight night you know what i mean like it's not an easy gig. So like, I always tend to back up the commentators and those things. Like, do they make mistakes? Do they say something wrong? Sure. Of course they do. But I don't think any of them do it to be like, Oh, fuck Matt Brown. No, I don't think they ever exactly. do that. Like, you know, they're never doing it because they dislike you. They're just doing it because they did it a different way. And they're, they're talking about that different way. Exactly. And they're, they're also humans, right? Like they go through emotions too. Like you're sitting there for five, six, seven hours, however long it is. And like, you're going to have emotions too. You're going to start getting tired. You're going to be sick of watching fights. You're going to be sick of sitting there talking. And maybe you might you know, just be like, oh, this motherfucker doesn't even know what he's doing, right? That's <laughs> kind of maybe what's going through your head. Like, again, I've done it on regional shows before. And, it, you know, sometimes you watch a fight and a guy's doing something and you just can't figure out why he's doing it. You're like, this dude just fucking sucks. So, um, you know, they, they may be feeling that in their head. But again, I, I don't, I've never taken it as a, a, a malice or a, a slight against me or anything and um, you know you certainly could find those spots where where that's a possibility you know sometimes you know you certainly come in they they come when when I walk in that cage they certainly have an expectation of what they're going to expect my fight to be and when it's not exactly that then they have to change up the whole conversation like why isn't it being that so you know, again, I have a lot of sympathy for them, and I think all of the team that they have does a, a fantastic job. I think they have a great commentating team, and um, I, I don't have anything against any of those guys. I think they're all great. And I know you were praising last week, and she showed up again this past week. It was Laura Sanko, the newest member. She did a great job in her debut. She had a tough tough one to step into because that Derek Lewis card was rough. Uh, and then she was in on Sunday night, not our Saturday night. I thought she did a great job. She It's, it, it's long past time that Laura was on the commentary team. Uh, I think she should have been on there long before now, but she does a fantastic job, and I want to continue to commend her for that because I, I hope they continue to put her in that rotation. I know you were praising her on Twitter. like She did a fantastic job. Yeah, exactly. I think she does great. And it, it's, just, I think it's really good just to have, uh, 
I mean, maybe it's because she's a female, but just having that other voice in there, like it, it just adds a whole nother dimension to it that just hasn't never been there. Maybe that's just because she's female or maybe it's uh, because of what she's saying. I'm not sure, but now, um, you know, I think she adds a great dimension to it. And again, I think she, everything she says is very, is, at least from my experience, listening to her has been very valuable and is very well spoken and, and very clear and, I think she does a tremendous job. And uh, just like I said on Twitter, I think she could be, she may not be there yet, but I think she'll be probably the best commentator since Joe Rogan. Yeah. I mean, she's a, a fantastic. And I, I do like when they switch the teams up because it does give you, like you said, it is fun to hear a different perspective, right? Like with the pay-per-views, generally we get, you know, Anik and Rogan and Cormier. And I like that team. I think because remember back in the day, it used to just be Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan. And then <laughs> they had a third man to the booth. And I think DC does a tremendous job with John Anik and, and Joe Rogan. And then occasionally like, you know, they'll do a pay-per-view like they've had, I know they had Michael Bisping there one time. I know they had Paul Felder there one time. Um, they travel internationally when they went to Australia, they had, I think it was, uh, Bisping and Dominic Cruz. Uh, they do the fight nights. Paul Felder steps in there. So I like, and I, I really like Brendan Fitzgerald too. I think he does a great job as play by play. The other guy who does it there, I think John Gooden's really good at his job. I do miss Dan Hardy. I wish I kind of feel bad that he's not there anymore. He's a really good commentator. He's a really knowledgeable commentator. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do. I like they switch it up. And I, again, I, I, I feel I don't, it's not like they, I'm sure none of them give a crap whether or not I defend them, but I, I do. I think they do a tremendous job. And it's a, I think the thing that cannot be said enough is it's so hard to do what they do, man. Like you, you've done it. I tried to do it once in college and I was like, oh Jesus, this is not easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually just did it a couple of weeks ago on a small show out in Virginia. But yeah. It's not easy. And uh, having someone there with you that does it well helps a lot. But, um, it was so funny when it, it was just Goldberg and Rogan for the longest time. And as soon as I don't remember who the first person, whenever they fired um, Goldberg and Brian, someone else, I fucking hated it, man. I was like, <laughs> but now when you go back and you look and you listen, you're like, okay, they did the right thing. <laughs> right. And I love Goldberg. You know, he's still, you know, one of the greatest commentators of all time. I wish he still had a place in there, but having a, a three person team, and having uh, the guys they have in there is, I think they've done a great job with it. They have. And, and we talk about bias, just being honest, like that's just natural. You're going to be like, if the, you were commentating AJ Dobson's fight, you're probably going to feel a little differently commentating his fight versus just some other dude. You know what I mean? Like this just, it's like, and there's a, there actually is like an inherent knowledge there too. Like I understand, like you don't want to, like I understand people saying, well, you know, DC shouldn't commentate Khabib or Islam's fights. I get that. They've been teammates for a decade. They're very close. I understand that. Like, I understand that notion, but I also understand it's a job. Like, I know I've heard Paul Felder call fights for his teammates and you know he'll he'll be blunt he's been very blunt and said like he's not doing what he should be doing he looks like he's gas like he'll say things that are like very critical and i think that's because he knows the guy better like he knows what this guy's capable of and i i appreciate that like i remember when sean brady fought uh Bilal muhammad i think it was paul felder was doing commentary you could tell it sucked because he trains with both guys you know what i mean but he was being honest with this guy that's the job like you didn't and, and again no one should take offense to that like they're just doing their job like it's just like we're on here and we pick against a fight or we or we say something like it's not, i always say like i don't mean it to i'm not saying it because i dislike a person or i don't think they're a good fighter i'm just giving my honest opinion like that's all it is and this is no different than commentary like i don't do it with malice or because i dislike a person it's just my honest opinion yeah and i remember back in the day uh, i remember sometimes i would hear about 
uh, hosts or you have TV shows or podcasts or whatever, and they pick against me, I'm like, motherfucker, fuck him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't think it's the right way to feel about it, you know, because uh, you, know, you have to look at it objectively. And Support for this podcast comes from Smart Water. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smart Water Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smart Water Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Um, if anything, should fire you up, and you got to take that as fuel for the fire. Like, you know, people are picking against me. That You know, these guys... They're looking at things objectively and they're looking at it, um, you know, w- without bias. You have to assume that they're looking at it without bias. Yeah, and absolutely. Especially if you know them, if they're your friend and they're picking against you, they're probably being even less biased. So you have to take that into account and uh, not let it bring you down. Instead, let it fire you up. One of the reasons I hate picking fights because I hate it coming back on me. I hate when people get mad at me. Like I didn't. I'm yeah. not doing it because I dislike it, man. Like I'm not doing it because I don't like it. I'm just doing it because I'm. Yeah, being I honest. feel the like, same way. You know, we pick fights all the time, and um, now I always feel terrible for the guy that I'm picking against. You know, because and you know, but then I feel good when they prove me wrong too. So yeah. it kind of goes ways. It does. Speaking of, uh, before we get to some advice from Matt Brown, I want to bring up real quick the boxing match coming up this weekend between Jake Paul and Tommy Fury. It's on Sunday in Saudi Arabia. We'll have full coverage over on MMA fighting. I actually had a chance for the first time ever. I interviewed Tommy Fury for this fight. Spoke to him about 15 minutes. Um, really nice guy. I was very, he was very impressive. Uh, behind me, I have a lot of horror movie masks. And immediately when we got on the Zoom call, he's like, oh, you got all the Halloween masks. I was like, all right, immediately you're in my cool book. Cause he was like, he's a big horror movie fan. Um, really so nice guy. Biasly, are you going to biasly pick for Tommy Fury now? Because he's yeah, a horror. He, he, he likes, well, he likes horror. Of course I'm going to immediately be biased <laughs> towards him, but I had never talked to him before. Incredibly nice guy. Well-spoken, um, kind of changed my opinion on him a little bit, just cause you know, you, you, when you get, when you talk to somebody, you get a little different feeling for them than just watching them on TV. Um, a little bit of that, but this is an interesting matchup because I'll be honest, like I've not been, I, I said on the show, I'm not going to change my mind now. Like I've said, I've not been overly impressed by what I've seen out of Tommy Fury in the ring. Now to his credit, he does have more experience than Jake Paul against actual boxers. Uh, he's eight and or whatever. And you know, Jake's six and oh, and Jake hasn't fought an actual boxer yet. I, I still stand by the fact that Anderson Silva is a pretty damn good boxer for his age, but he's still not a boxer. It's still not his profession. Um, I'm curious. Like I don't. I know you really hadn't seen Tommy fight that much. Do you have any expectations for this fight? Is this is this in any way, shape, or form like a proving a proving point for uh, for Jake Paul because he's actually fighting a boxer this time? So I did end up watching a little bit of Tommy Fury's fights. Um, I, I did did a little bit of digging into his record. Um, first and foremost, we we say he's fought some boxers. He fought one moderately decent boxer. Okay, the guys that he boxed, one guy's record was like, I think it was like two and a hundred or something, <laughs> like 
Seriously. I mean, you might have your computer. Look it up on BoxRec right now. Like, it, his opponents were fucking horrible. The one guy that he beat that had a winning record, uh, had a decent winning record, is 10 and 1. All of his opponents were, you know, like 3 and 36 or 4 and 10, and, you know, terrible guys. So, that's yeah, his first really, his first it, his it, first opponent his first opponent has a record of 10 and 102 there you go 10 wins 102 losses go go through all of them real quick the, all, his, right. all of his opponent wins and losses so right. i think if, if they total somebody i heard somebody total it up it's something like like 50 and 400 or something okay or his so opponent. his first opponent was 10 102 and three the three being draws his second opponent is 0 and 26 with two draws. So 0 and 26. His third opponent is 2 and 26. Uh, fourth opponent 0 and 11. Fifth opponent 0 and 9. Uh, sixth opponent was 2 and 0. So he did fight somebody that had an undefeated record with two fights. Anthony Taylor, the former UFC fighter, former mixed martial artist, he was 0 and 1. And then his last opponent was 10 and 1. That's the first opponent he's faced who actually had like a legitimate like winning record. Actually, any kind of winning record besides being 1 and 0. Uh, or two and zero. Oh. So yeah, um, his first like few yeah, opponents right. out of his his first five opponents uh, had a combined twelve wins and uh, God, can I do the math? Three hundred losses. Three hundred forty-eight, losses. No, yeah, hundred hundred and seventy-four losses. If I did the math real quick, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and then the one guy that he beat that was ten and one, basically had the same sort of record where he'd only been beating, you know, I don't even know what you call those taxi driver guys that are, you know, <laughs> like two and twenty six. Like, how do they even get commission or sanctioned to fight again? You know, well, like at some point, you know, the commission's got to say, look, find a different job, motherfucker. And to be fair, to be and not to defend Tommy Fury, but this is something Jake Paul's brought up a lot when when he when people talk about well you're not fighting boxers. Typically speaking, boxers coming up don't fight good guys until they're 10, 12 fights in their career. Yeah. Canelo Alvarez, his, all his opponents up to like his ninth or tenth or twelfth pro fight were god awful. I mean, they were all yeah. like, oh, you know, they're like two and ten. That's that's how boxers work. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying like it's different than MMA where you generally don't get to that point. We saw a guy on Saturday night. There was a kid from uh, fighting on Saturday night's card who got beat on the under on the undercard by Jamal Ever uh, by uh, Jamal Embers who had like twenty three and zero. And he had all these wins and knockouts and stuff, but he got in there and he didn't look he didn't look like he deserved to be in there. Like he didn't and he got beat 30-27 or whatever. Uh, what we call a padded record. That's you don't generally get that in MMA, but it happens in boxing all the time. Lots of boxers start out 15, 20, and 0 before they actually face anyone that's any good. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a common thing in boxing, building the guys up like that and getting the experience and uh, very common thing. So with that said. I don't know how good either one of these guys are, to be honest. Both of them know how to box. Jake Paul knows how to box. Like, you know, I had a lot of questions about him coming in, just like everybody did. He's answered those questions. Like, these guys that he has beat, Tyrone Woodley, Anderson Silva, uh, these guys are probably better than the guys that Tommy Fury beat, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, here's the reality. People get lost in the whole you haven't fought boxers thing and 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 then they don't do their own homework on who these people are fighting. 
You know, that's the problem. You just said 10 and 102. How much threat is that guy really? I mean, the guy who's 0 and 29, how much threat is that guy? He's not being brought in there to challenge you. He's being brought in for you to beat him. Jake Paul would probably beat all all eight of those opponents that, that, that Tommy Fury has beaten. I would wager Jake Paul would probably beat all of them also. Exactly. You know what I mean? So this whole, like, you haven't fought a boxer thing. Yeah, he hasn't fought, you know, Canelo Alvarez, and he hasn't fought, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dimitri Bivol. He hasn't fought. Yeah, of course, but well, that's a whole know, other he animal. He hasn't fought a legit boxer, but what he has fought, as opposed to Tommy Fury, is world-class athletes. Yeah. Like, Iwan Woodley is a world-class athlete. Now, whether he was motivated or training hard or, you know, in his athletic prime when he fought Jake Paul, probably not, right? But he's still a fucking world-class athlete. I guarantee he's a better athlete than any of those guys than Tommy Fury fought. So I would wager that, or I would argue that Jake Paul's record is currently better than Tommy Fury's. Especially yeah, I mean, with the Anderson Silva win. Like, I don't think, I think Anderson Silva would go 8 0 against all those guys, also. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing you get missed when you hold, you haven't fought a boxer thing. Like, are you saying he hasn't fought a boxer? You haven't, or are you saying he hasn't fought a world class boxer? Because I could easily argue Tommy Fury hasn't fought a world class boxer either. Exactly. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's got, like, there are, there are plenty of fighters out there, boxers who have 8 0 records, who have padded 8 0 records. That's a very common theme in boxing. And to Jake Paul's credit, he could be fighting those same guys and be 20 0 right now and fight nobody. But he actually has fought some names. Now, Nate Robinson. The the, the difference is that Tommy Fury has fought what we call taxi drivers or, you know, (laughs) uh, just useless opponents, right? Guys that sheep brought in, you know, to for slaughter. Lambs brought in for slaughter. Uh, Jake Paul has fought fighters. They're not boxers, but they're at least fighters, right? These guys are actual, they have the heart of fighters, and we know that. We've seen it. We don't. I, I have a. I find a hard time believing that any of those guys that Tommy Fury fought are real fighters at heart. They're not warriors. Yeah, and I think that the three wins in particular on Jake's record to me look good. Two Tyron Wood, two Tyron Woodley wins and an Anderson Silva win. Now I'm not going to sit here and say. Ben Askren isn't an athlete. He is, but he's, we know what Ben Askren is. I love Ben, but Ben's never been a boxer. That was always going to be a big mismatch for Ben. And Nate Robinson's an NBA player. Now, is he a tremendous athlete? Absolutely, but he's not a boxer. So I'll discount those fights, but Tyron Woodley is a legit f- legit welterweight legend. Like, is yes. he a boxer? No. Can he knock your block off with one punch? Absolutely. Is he a world-class athlete? Absolutely. And the Anderson, I hate the Anderson Silva thing because going into the fight, you and I were – you know, leaning towards Anderson Silva, praising him left, right, and center, and then he loses, and of course the narrative then changed. Well, he's 47. Did he look 47 when he was beating Julio Cesar Chavez Jr.? No, he looked great. He looked tremendous. He not, I know, I listen, I know Tito Ortiz is not a good fighter, but he knocked him out in 30 seconds, which is what he should have done. He did do. You know what I mean? Like, I hate that now he's a 47-year-old guy. He lost. If he had won, we'd be like, oh, my God, can you see what this guy's doing at 47? My God, this guy's incredible. He lost. Oh, he's 47. He's washed up. Shut up. Anderson Silva is a good boxer. Is he a world-class? Is he a heavy? You know, is he a championship-level boxer? Probably not. But does that mean he's not a good boxer? I mean, come on now. Like, you know, as yeah, you said. like, a good boxer and you have to walk out with the same – you can't – you know, stand on a statement and then pull it back after the fight, right? Like you said, we knew he was 47 going into the fight, and most of us picked him going into the fight. So we can't walk back 
that statement after the fight and say, oh, well, he was 47. It's like, well, you knew that going into the fight, buddy. So, yeah. Yes. So I agree with you on that. So to be honest, it's pretty interesting how this fight um, came about because this is the right fight for both of them in their career right now. And we're going to find out who has the potential to actually get uh, better, right? And move up in, you know, whatever rankings they're trying to move up in. I mean, you know, Tommy Fury is trying to actually move up in, um, you know, real boxing rankings. I'm not sure if that's Jake Paul's ultimate goal or not, but, um, you know, this is most guys at their level with these 8-0, 6-0 records wouldn't take on the challenge that they're taking on. They would keep beating up, uh, you know, the taxi drivers. Yeah. So do you do you do you have a pick? Do you lean one way or the other? Because I'll be honest, Matt. I think it's I think it is a I think it is a, a tougher fight for both of them because Tommy is like Tommy has legitimate boxing skills. That's what he's trained his entire life in. But I've not been overly impressed by Tommy Fury. I've said that here and I'm not gonna change my opinion now just because I talked to the guy and I think he's a nice guy and I, I have a lot of respect for him, but uh I don't I just I've not been impressed by what I've seen out of Tommy Fury and I've actually been impressed by a couple of things I've seen out of Jake Paul, especially the knockout power. That's there. He rattled Anderson Silva, he's knocked out several people. Uh he has that power behind him. So I gotta I gotta lean to Jake Paul in this fight. I don't know if he'll knock him out. I don't know if it's gonna be like that kind of a dramatic ending. They both are making crazy predictions. It's not gonna make it past the fourth round all this kind of stuff but i do think jake paul will win i think this is a i think this is a a little tougher test because it is a legitimate boxer in the sense of tommy fury only trains boxing this is all he's done he's not an mma fighter learning boxing so i do think that's good for him but i still think jake's got the size he's got the power Uh, i still think he's a decent enough boxer to continue winning again there will be if if jake continues to, to rise up the ranks I do believe he will run into a guy one day that will beat him because I don't think Jake is at that championship level of legitimate. You know, when we talk about the best box. I don't think he's there, but can he still continue to win a lot of these fights early on? Yeah. So I go with Jake Paul. Yeah. I think it's a very difficult one to call because again, like they just haven't really fought guys. Um, but it, you know what, what I found interesting is when I watched the Tommy Fury fights and I remember, um, you telling me how unimpressed you were watching his fights. And I wasn't as unimpressed as you were, I think. Um, you know, he did what he was supposed to do to all those guys pretty much, right? Like he beat the hell out of pretty much everybody that he fought. Like there wasn't any close matches as far as I can tell. I didn't watch the whole fights. I watched highlights. But I, the, as far as I could tell, there wasn't like close fights. And that's what you're supposed to do. That's why they bring the lamb to the slaughter. You're supposed to slaughter him, and he slaughtered all of them. So we don't really know uh, what either of these guys are capable of. Now, what I could – so from what I could tell is Tommy likes the fight to be long at a distance and kind of um, work his way little by little, right? Like he, he likes his jab a lot and likes to – um, follow up with his jab, like basic boxing fundamental stuff, right? Jake kind of likes a little closer, um, you know, likes to clinch a little more and kind of push you around, bully you a little bit. So I think it's really going to come down to who's able to implement their game plan. So I have a hard time finding a pick here. Um, I think if there's going to be a difference maker, I'm maybe – you know, like 55% over to Jake because he, I think he does have the power to hurt Tommy Fury. And I'm not sure that Tommy Fury has the power to hurt Jake. And I think Jake is probably 
um, going to be able to get in close and land some hard shots and maybe wear Tommy Fury out because Tommy seems to like the fight kind of pretty and stuff. And I think Jake can make it a little bit dirty. So I think it's going to go to a decision. And I think it's going to be a, probably a, um, you know, not a great fight, right? Like it's not going to, it's not going to end with a good look for either person. And I think the judges are probably going to lean towards Jake Paul. This is, um, this is kind of where I've ended with my research. Yeah, I I agree. I think I I do pick Jake. Uh, I agree with you though. I don't think it's going to be the crazy fight that everyone's that they're predicting. You know, they're both predicting these wild knockouts, and that's what yeah. fighters do. We understand that, but yeah, I don't think it's going to play out that way. I just I think both the guys are. This is in a weird. This is going to sound weird to say this. This is weirdly a fight you wouldn't normally see at this stage in their careers. Like, you know what I mean? Like generally, generally speaking, these guys would get to 15, 16 and 0 before they'd ever see each other. Like, that's just the nature of boxing. And I think a lot of people get talking about each other at 15, 16, 0, and then, you know, maybe start, start talking about locations at 20 and 0, and then actually (laughs) fight at 23, 24 and 0, right? Yeah, yeah, that's how that's how boxing works. I think that's one thing that gets missed here. Boxing just it's not I mean, again. If you look at Tommy Fury's record, we're talking about him fighting a guy who's ten and hundred and two. I mean, come on now. Like, are we really gonna say that's like, yeah, he has boxing experience, but you know, what guy in the crowd did they pick out for him to fight? I mean, you know, like, yeah, Matt, you exactly. Have, that's not that's not it, better boxing experience <laughs> than what Jake Paul has. Now, did Tommy fight amateur? Do you know about that? Uh, I don't know if he did. I don't know if he did or not, to be honest. I'm not really sure. That was the one thing I couldn't uh, really find any info on, and that would yeah. be a game if he did, because that's a lot of experience. You know, if he had a lot of amateur fights, which is pretty common for boxers to have a lot of amateur fights, which that could be the difference maker, that experience. Um, yeah. I just don't know if he did. But again, I, I kind of see, like, I, I just think it's going to end up uh, being an unfortunate fight for both of them. Like, it's going to lose, they're going to lose some allure on both of them, because I, I don't see it. You know, I, th- I think it's going to be a tightly uh, contested match. Um, I think the judges are probably going to lean towards Jake because he's probably going to come forward more and he's going to grab and throw, or, you know, kind of bully a little bit more and he's going to land probably bigger, uh, more powerful shots. And it's just going to look better for him. But it's going to be probably such a sloppy, um, you know, get, that's, that's part of why these guys don't fight guys with that kind of um record until they're you know 20 and 0 or whatever right they don't want that kind of uh stain um of a you know a poor fight that they barely squeezed out right and i think one of these guys is going to barely squeeze it out i think probably jake paul but um one of them's just barely going to squeeze it out i think real quick before we move on from this i want to ask matt i want to get your opinion on this real quick if if tommy fury wins and let's just say it's not a close fight i'm not saying it's a blowout or a knockout just he wins you know it's eight rounds i think he wins six out of the eight rounds pretty you know pretty definitive win for tommy fury does the interest in jake paul just go away like is he is he in that situation now where one loss just i would say it ends the because he's now he's going to pfl he's doing mma he's got other things going on and there's still going to be you know he could fight ksi he could fight other influencers things like that but does the the true fascination with jake paul go away with one loss well you know um well damon i'm the fighter here and you're the writer you would probably i should probably be asking you that question what do you think (laughs) I don't think I don't think it goes away entirely because as I said, there's still other matches that could be of interest. Like I said, he could fight KSI. People will still tune in for that. He could fight 
other influencers and people would still tune in for that. He could, you know, fight another MMA guy. He could fight, you know, some, I don't know who, I mean, I don't know. You know, he could fight Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz. That could still be a fight that would sell. Would the, would the interest wane? Yeah, it would. Because I think, you know, at that point, the, the, the mystique around Jake Paul being this guy who's going to try to be a legitimate, like, threat in the boxing world, that goes away. Because I don't think anyone's looking at Tommy Fury right now and saying, my God, this guy's, you know, the next Mike Tyson. I mean, come on now. Um, so, yeah, I think it does go away a little bit, but I don't think it goes away entirely because, again, there's still matchups out there for him that people would care about. Would he, would he lose the attention he's been trying to build himself into being a legitimate boxer. Yeah. That goes away a lot with one. And if it, again, it also depends on how he loses. If he loses convincingly six rounds to two, seven rounds to one, whatever. And it's just not a close fight. Yeah. I think a lot of that goes away. And um, then he really is stuck in like the influencer boxing world. He's not going to be, you know, I'm, I'm going to fight Canelo in 10 fights. No, listen, you and I both know in reality, he ain't fighting Canelo, never going to fight Canelo. Just let's just stop talking, but he can talk about it because he's undefeated. He's beating people, you know, he continue to play that card because he is undefeated because he is knocking people out. So on and so forth. He loses that. That part goes away. Yeah. I like, I mean, if I had to pick one person for him to fight, it'd be Dimitri Bavol, right? Like he's actually his size and he's a good boxer and he would piece him up pretty bad. And Jake would learn a good lesson, but yeah, uh, of course, again, like you said, that's not going to happen, man. Um, so I, I don't know where his allure goes, to be honest. And, you know, he's not going to lose his fan base, right? He built that long before he was ever boxing. So he's still going to have all of his fans, um, what he does with it from there. I think he's a brilliant businessman. I think he's a very smart in how he markets himself and how he puts himself out there. And I don't think he's ultimately going to lose, um, you know, his uh, – overall brand is going to be fine no matter what because he's very good with his brand now we're all of course all of us purists and all of us um um you know fight fans and everything you know we're gonna be like, okay well we don't really care to see box anymore but his brand will be fine right like i mean yeah. he's, i'm sure he's already fine he's set you know so um, I'm I'm weirdly of the mind as much as a, maybe this is a controversial opinion, Matt, but I'm of the mindset that I think Jake Paul is good for combat sports. I do. I just think that like him being around and bringing in a younger like when I was at his boxing match with Tyron Woodley here in Cleveland, the audience was so young. Like I've I've been to a, I've been to hundreds of UFC fights. And it's a, it is typically a younger skewing audience. When I say younger, I'm talking like 20s and 30s, you know what I mean? Like a younger-ish crowd. There were teenagers jumping up and down buying merchandise you know buying tickets you know we're talking like 15 16 year old kids i had people come up asking me to get could i get could they get my credential like they wanted like mementos and they were going nuts like jake brings in a different audience so in that way i'm kind of like he's good because like people are people that wouldn't be interested otherwise are interested because of jake paul you know what i mean so I'm maybe I'm on the outlier of, uh, I don't know if I am or not, but I, I think he's good for combat sports. Like he's bringing attention to issues. He's talking about, you know, you know, doing like a 50, 50 split for pay-per-view and PFL. He's doing, um, you talk about fighter unions. He's obviously gone to war with Dana white and you can say it's a publicity stunt, but guess what? It still works. Still, but gets us to talk about issues that are actually relevant in the sport, fighter pay, you know, benefits, things like that. So yeah, I'm of the mindset that Jake Paul's good for combat sports. So I'm not rooting for him to win or do I care that much if he loses but I hope he doesn't go away because I think in a weird way he's good for the sport I think he's just I do I think he's good for the combat sports that's interesting I never you know I, I don't have no hate for him at all you know 
um, everything I've always said, you know, I'm, I, I think it's pretty cool what he's doing here um, coming up fighting Tommy Fury. Cause what I've always said before is what he's always done in the past hasn't been boxing, right? Like I'm a boxing purist and, uh, what he's done before was not boxing. What he was doing was just a show. It was just entertainment. And like you said, it brought a lot of eyes to the sport. Boxing, well, we, you know, we've been saying that it's dying for, what, 20 years now, and it hasn't <laughs> died. But, but um, you know, the, I think it has always been – the one thing about boxing is it has always been, uh, at least in the last 20 years or so, like it has been kind of on that – uh, a cliff where it feels like it could just die right off anytime and he's bringing it back. So maybe he'll do the same thing with MMA and not that MMA is on a cliff. I don't think, but um, I've, I've felt that way about boxing for a long time. You know, like there's only been two or three at most top stars keeping it alive. And um, you know, it's just always kind of been right on the edge, you know? And um, of course there is always that next star, but um it, I don't know. I just kind of always had that feeling like, what if there's not the next star, right? Like some of these guys expected to be stars didn't end up being stars. And, you know, even as, as great as they are. So, and with MMA taking a, a huge portion of their, um, their demographic, you know, it always felt to me like it was on a cliff. No, I, I agree with you. Cause a lot of, a lot of the attention around boxing surrounds one fight, right? Like it's not, yeah. You know, it's around Canelo fighting or, or, or Tyson Fury fighting or, you know, a big, you know, matchup like that. Or we talk about like Terrence Crawford fighting Errol Spence. So, you know, like one fight here and there, one fight here and there. Um, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't contain the same. It doesn't have the same sustained following that MMA does where people tune in every week to watch the UFC. People aren't tuning every week to watch boxing. They tune in to watch right. a boxer. They'll tune in to watch Javante Davis. They'll tune in to watch Tyson Fury. They'll tune in to yeah. watch Loma, Lomachenko. They're not tuning in to watch the undercard. They're not tuning in to see Lomachenko's training partners. They're not, you know, they're not, you know, that's, that's the difference between, between boxing and MMA is you tune in typically regard like, yeah, there are going to be people who only show up when Connor fights. Yes, that happens. Absolutely. But MMA has a much bigger overall fan base where people just say, oh, the UFC's on, I'll watch. They don't really care who's on. They're just, the UFC's on or PFL or Bellator or whatever, uh, boxing is always about that one guy, you know, generally. You're not, yeah, you don't see different. wonder, you know, maybe the analytics or statistics on, uh, you know, how many people care about boxing to the extent that they're listening to podcasts about boxing, right, versus like an Ariel Hawani or what we're doing or, you know, Chael Sonnen, you know, these big podcasts where people are following the sport and, 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 getting into the personalities and who these people are and what they're doing. And, um, you know, versus boxing where, like you said, it's, it's one or two people that they're watching matches for. No one even knows who's on the prelims of Canelo half the time. Yeah. Right? No, but you watch a, you know, UFC, you know, the, you know, the whole, um, the whole prelim card sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a different, and you're absolutely right. It always feels like it's on that cliff. And again, uh, I like boxing, but I'm not. I'm not a boxing purist like you are. Like you follow it far more than I do. I'm guilty of it too. I tune in for the one fight. Like I tune in to watch Canelo. I tune in to watch 
Uh, you know, like I'm excited for Javante Davis and, and Ryan Garcia. Like I'll tune in to watch that. I'll tune in to watch, you know, certain fights. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to see, you know, uh, Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence and, and things like that. Tyson Fury fights I always watch. But yeah, I'm I'm guilty of it just as much as anybody. I don't watch the entire undercard of Tyson Fury's fight cards. I watch Tyson Fury's fights. Um, well, so, it, yeah. it'd be a perfect, perfect example right there. We're talking about like who's number one, maybe two pound for pound in the world right now. I bet you, I bet you can't even name his name. Uh, well, I assume Terrence Crawford's up there, isn't he? He's the number He's one. He's up there, there. but a uh, little guy. Uh, oh, isn't there a Japanese fighter who's like there really high up there? Yeah, what's his you name? You don't even know his name, right? I don't know his name. I don't know his name. Yeah, in a way. In a way, yeah. See, I I knew who I was talking about, but I didn't know his name. See, I was yeah. I was uh, yeah. Yeah, where is where is uh where is uh Better Bev? I like him too. I like watching him. He's really good. Um, I'm not sure where he's at pound for pound, but I mean he he's an absolute killer. What <laughs> like just a goddamn savage. Hopefully, um, him and Bavol end up fighting. Is what I'm hoping for. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's what I'm like. I said, there you go. Perfect example. Like I I consider myself a boxing fan, but I didn't know that. So see, there you go. You're absolutely proving yourself right, Matt. Um, real quick before we get out of here, we said we're going to start a new advice column for Matt Brown. This is I'm so excited about this. Now we <laughs> said we we said on the show we didn't want to do just generic questions like you know what's your favorite fight or who hit you the hardest. We're going to do like actual advice. Now I got a bunch of questions. I got to narrow it down to a couple because I don't want to keep stay on here all night. Uh, but I have a couple of questions lined up for you. One. I'll go with two fight-related questions and then one uh, love advice, which I do love that somebody <laughs> asked love advice. Um, so let me, let me let, let, here's here's two here's two things real quick that I think you can answer that won't one I want to there's one question I want to save for next week, which is how would you improve judging in MMA? I'm not going to hit you with that one yet because that's a much wider question. That's going to be a bigger discussion. And you and I have talked about having a much broader conversation on judging, so I want to get to that one, but not now. The one question, and this is a good one. I like this one a lot. As a guy who's about to fight in May, is it fair to put UFC vets with over 25 fights in the apex with no crowd? I know your answer, Matt, because I agree with you. Like Seeing Jim Miller, a legend, most wins in UFC history, fighting without a crowd on Saturday night was sad. I don't want to see that. I want to see a crowd. Like He walked out to, Black, he walked out to Iron Man by Black Sabbath. I want to hear the crowd go nuts when that hits, when you hear the doom. I am Iron Man. Like, I want to hear the crowd with that. So I know your answer. Is it fair to put UFC vets with 25 fights or more in the UFC Apex with no crowd? I'll start by saying I hate the word fair. <laughs> That's where I, I have to start. Like, anytime someone asks me, is something fair? I, I generally just, you know, fuck it. This is even a good question, right? Um, nothing is fair in life. Don't expect fairness and, um, you know, fuck fairness, right? That nothing in life is fair. That's all that, that comes down to. If I were running the UFC, Jim Miller would be fighting in New Jersey, you know, at least co-main event, you know, regardless whether he won his last fight, his last five fights, whatever, you know, that's me. UFC does things different ways. Um, and, you know, Jim Miller agreed to it. So that's what he got. Um, you know, I'm probably going to be fighting the apex myself. I'm betting um, in, in May um, and Court McGee, right? Like, you know, another um, longstanding veteran of the UFC. So um, I'm not going to ever say something's not fair, right? Because we agree to it and that's what it is. And we're getting paid the same. Um, should it be different? I think so. I think when, you know, once you get a certain amount, I think in a perfect world, once you get, 
you know, maybe there's some sort of a tier system or something. Once you get to a certain number of fights, certain number of wins, you know, something, um, some sort of landmark where, you know, you, you've proven yourself, you know, you should be able to get some benefits out of that. I think, you know, in a perfect world, um, not sure that it'll ever work that way though. I do like that idea though. Like, you know, like a graduation system, like when you get to so many fights, you get to kind of like, not saying you're going to pick your opponents or, or pick and choose where you fight, but like, they give you an option. Like, you know, Hey, you can fight in, you can fight at UFC 287. You're going to be on the prelims, but you're going to be at UFC 287. You're going to fight in front of a crowd, or you can be the co-main event on the UFC apex card. So you're going to be one of the final fights of the night. You're going to be one of the marquee fights, you know, whatever, but you're going to be in the apex. Give me that choice. Like they're, they're two weeks apart. You know what I mean? Like, which one would you rather be in? I think that'd be cool to give like the veterans, you know, like you and guys, like guys with you, know, Jim Miller, the guys who have been there. I think that'd be kind of cool. Like it kind of a, you know, you've yeah. earned your, you've earned the right to like, you know, have just at least a little bit of say, like not a lot. They're not saying you're going to pick your opponent and you know, you're going to pick your spot on the card. They're just giving you a little bit of like, a, just a little bit of a, a question about like where you want to fight. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's certainly, I guess, um, unspokenness of that right like i can call sean shelby now and ask for an opponent much more than i could when i had you know two or three fights in the ufc right doesn't mean i necessarily get it doesn't mean it's going to work that way but you know i built some uh, rapport and some tenure with those guys so there is something to that um but there's also you know there's no guarantee of that either so Again, when I, I talk about perfect world, yeah, I think it would be cool if there was some sort of um, additional benefits that you get as you move along. What you know, it could even be something as simple as like health insurance or whatever, you know, which is a whole another discussion, you know, or um, you know, guaranteed amount of pay every year, or um, you know, whether it's um, you know, you're not going to fight guys that have less than this number of fights in the UFC or, you know, I mean, there's a million different things you could do and different ways you could do it. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Um, but I think it, is, it would be a cool idea if it could be done that way. It's but, funny. I mean, what... don't, but, but don't ever ask me if something is fair or not. Because yeah. it, it, it's irrelevant when you put the word fair in there. Nothing well, that's is like... fair. That's like when I, I always tell people when you're a fan of the sport, strike the word deserves from your vocabulary because nobody yeah. like just you're going to drive yourself insane. Like he deserves a title shot. No, because you're just going to drive yourself loony thinking about that because no one deserves it. Like that's just the reality of the sport. Like, do I believe someone should get a title shot over another person? Absolutely. Does that mean they deserve it? No, because you just you will you will lose your mind with that word in this sport deserves because no one's going to deserve. That's just not how it works. Um, one of the other questions. You don't you don't get what you deserve. You get what you earn, and yeah. you know the the UFC is, is probably more, um, you know, beholden to that than anywhere else in the world, right? Like you get what you earn in the UFC. Some people have to earn it more than others, but if you earn it, you will get it. 
Yeah. One other question they had, which I'll just roll this in. It was like basically if you were a if you were like a, an executive, it says UFC admin, but I'm gonna say executive at UFC. Like, what improvements would you make to the sport? That's such a broad question, but I'll say this: like, you're without going too deep in the woods on this one. Like, I think it'd be fun to like. Wouldn't it be cool? And I, I'm throwing that they're asking your opinion, Matt, but like you're talking about little things you could do to make a difference, like minimum pay. You know, you only fight certain guys over certain experience, things like that. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was like an advisory board of like veteran fighters who could help? Like, I'm not saying they're going to rule over the UFC, but like to like offer like suggestions on little tweaks. And like, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not going to say they're going to tackle fighter pay. That's a whole other subject and a much bigger subject, but like little things like that, like they help like with that kind of stuff. Like, wouldn't it be cool to have that kind of like influence, like have maybe some veteran fighters like, you know, step up and make and offer advice on things like, Hey, you got Matt Brown fighting. Let's not put him on an apex card. Let's put him on a, you know, f- a fight in front of fans or Jim Miller's fighting. L- let's get him in, in Jersey or get him in the New York card. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Yeah, I think it's difficult because we just don't know the intricacies, the nuances of the deals that they have with ESPN and, you know, what the, the types of pressures that Sean Shelby, McMaynard, and Dana are under and, you know, the type. I think there's just a lot more nuance to that than we're ever really going to understand. And until you do uh, are able to put yourself in their shoes and actually see through their lens, we're probably it, it's going to it, it would make for a lot of um, probably or discourse, to be honest, like there'd be a lot of um, bickering back and forth and nothing getting accomplished, you know, and now with that said, there is a, a fighter advisory board being made with the ABC, which will oh, yeah. be put in front of the commissions. Right. And I was actually approached to be a part of that, um, but um, by Rose Gracie and, come to i was all about it and was willing to jump on board and then we come to find out that they're actually only accepting retired fighters so maybe when i retire i'll I'll join in on that but um for the current time i know dean thomas is a huge part of it um uh, god i can't remember the other names but there's some legitimate names and you know high levels of experience in on this currently so um that's a step in the right direction right I love that. I loved hearing that. Uh, and hopefully that will lead to more changes. And yeah, that'd be great if you get to do that after retirement. I think it'd be a fantastic idea because I know we've talked a lot about, you know, rules and judging and things like that that can be changed. And I think it's awesome that they're actually going that far to have like fighter advisory board, have fighters because it should be. I mean, this is you're the one in the cage in there. Like you should have that influence and that voice in the room. Like we've talked about that forever. Like, what are we doing if you're not having a voice in the room with that? Like, what's the point? You know, like they're not fighters. Like get in the game. That yeah. have had skin in the game and they, they actually know, uh, you know, what it's like. They've lived the life. So, you know, rather than these people that are uh, either politicians or, you know, boxing people or, you know, just, I, you know, who knows how they got in the positions they got in to make the rules. Yeah, like I'd like to think with my knowledge of the sport, covering the sport for 20 years, that I'd have a, a valuable voice on, on a board like that, like in terms of like rules and things like that. But ultimately, like I haven't done the sport. I haven't. So why wouldn't your opinion matter as much if not more than mine? Because you've actually been in there and done it. Like, that's my opinion. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not saying fighters can't be wrong. We both know they can be, but I'm saying like, wouldn't your opinion mean a little bit more than mine? Like, I'm not saying my opinion is not valid. I'm just saying like in a situation like that, we're talking about rules, judging, you know, we're talking about monumental stuff, right? Like that's hugely Mm -hmm. effective stuff. Why wouldn't you want 
a fighter or a group of fighters involved in that. That seems that seems like a no brainer yeah. to me. Yeah, so it's great what they're doing. And on that note, you said we would next week talk about how to improve judging in MMA because you think that'd be a long discussion. But I <laughs> can tell you, I could actually answer it pretty quickly. Um, you know, it just brought it into my mind when we're talking about this fighter advisory board. And um, the answer would be scrap the whole thing and start over. <laughs> like the entire judging system is completely fucked and is <sighs> stupid. Now, how we start over, now that's a long discussion and things that I would add when we're starting over, you know, again, that's, and those are just my opinions. Other fighters would have completely different opinions, but, and, and it would get very complicated very quick, I think, because I think uh, lots of fighters, lots of referees, lots of journalists, people involved in the sport would have very, very different opinions on how to do it properly. But what I can tell you, that I, uh, with strong conviction is the current system needs to be completely scrapped. And that's why we could start by improving it. I 120% agree with you. Burn it to the ground. Start yes. over. It does not work. Start yes. over. Yes. Now I would love down the road. We have some time. We should do an entire episode. We come up with our own judging system. That'd be a lot of fun. Like how would we judge fights? Like what would be great? I think we you know could what do would something. actually be cool. Is a way to do that would be, not only us, but maybe bring in some other people who put some real thought into it too. Um, yeah. You know, for instance, I think that like the verdict people would be great. Like they've obviously put some thought into it. They built their own system. Um, the scoring Senate people, you know, they put a lot of thought into it, built their own system. Um, maybe like a Dean Thomas type guy, you know, someone who's obviously like put thought into it is very well-spoken and very well thought out on these things. You know, um, maybe a referee or judge too. I don't know, but guy, maybe a like guy, a, a guy you used to get coached by, Matt Hume. He's a very knowledgeable yeah. guy. He has a day. He works under a different scoring system now in one championship. I think it'd be valuable a guy like that yeah. who works under a different scoring system now. You know, what would actually be really cool maybe is if we did like an entire series on it, and you know, because if we bring a, ta- a whole roundtable discussion, there's going to be a lot of um, it, it comes with its own problems. But maybe a whole series where you know you do like a couple weeks, but three or four weeks of you know just different guys and different opinions, and because we both just agreed, and I think most people would agree, burn the fucking thing to the <laughs> ground. It bullshit. It was made by people who didn't know what they were doing in a time when we didn't know what the sport was. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. All right, last thing, we got to get some love advice, Matt, and and the, 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 I actually most got actually. I, I actually got I, here's I actually got several questions on like dating advice from Matt Brown. I was like, this is impressive. I really want it, but I'm going to start with this one. And this is actually, this is actually a really good one. And this is something to you can really speak to. I, I really like this one. Um, the, the guy was asking like, you know, basically he said, we might've run into some of the same problems with maintaining a good relationship. Here's a good question. And this is really valid, especially as you're starting a fight camp, Matt, what are some of the ways you've learned to balance your relationship and the grind you're on to become a better partner, basically saying like, you know, how do you maintain being a world-class athlete? You're training for a fight. You're training to fight a savage in court McGee on May 13th, but you're still trying to maintain a relationship at the same time. Now you're, a, you're in a little different situation. You're an athlete, but I mean, I'm busy. I have a full-time job and I work a lot. So that is, I think that's a good question. How do you maintain your, the level of intensity you have to do as an athlete, but also maintaining, be a good, be a good partner to your, to your girl. Well, the, the, it's pretty simple, right? It's all about having the right girl. 
it, I mean, there's really nothing more to it. And if it's not the right girl, then you scrap her. Now, if you're in a situation where maybe you already have kids or something, you're already in deep, then it gets a little bit deeper and more complicated. And, you know, you got to start with having the right vision. And if she doesn't buy into the vision, then you're going to have to find a different vision. And that's all there is to it. Um, but having a proper vision, the two of you sitting down and writing things out and building systems, actual systems, you know, look at it almost like a business, right? You, you can actually look at it just like a business, right? You have weekly meetings, daily meetings, monthly, whatever it is. You have actual systems. There's specific things that you talk about. And be, having that vision clear, Every single day, knowing this is the path that I'm going on. And if you are not supportive of it, then we're going to talk about it and figure it out. That's part of, you know, the weekly meetings, whatever. And there's a lot of advice online on, um, you know, different things that you could talk about every night and everything, you know. But, you know, in any relationship, if your visions are off, then your relationship's going to be off. If you're not, if she's going down one path, you're going down another. You're then the relationship's going to be off, and that's all there is to it. It's funny you say that. When I interviewed Tommy Fury before the fight with Jake Paul, him and his girlfriend just had a kid like weeks ago, like like a month ago. And I said, I asked him, I said, you know, how I was like, I was like, how difficult has this been? Because you know, in reality, like you probably wouldn't want to fight for a few months. Like your kid was just born. Like literally, like when we spoke, it was like three. His his kid was like three weeks old. And uh, he's just like, he literally is like, I have the best girl in the world. Like, she's taking care of everything. She's allowing me to do my training and focus on the fight. Um, she's just being the support system I need right now. When I come back from my fight, I'll do that for her. But right now, she's doing everything for me. She's the best mother in the world, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's brilliant. And that kind of speaks to your point, right? Like, he he needs to be 100% focused on a fight right now. You know, he he needs to be you know, in a different mindset, you know what I mean? And, and he has a girl supporting him in that. Like he has his girlfriend supporting him in that vision as you talk about. Exactly. And the whole thing is, you know, again, it all comes down to finding the right girl. He obviously he found the right one. It sounds like, and to do that, I think too many men in this world are accepting of a lesser partner because they're either not comfortable being alone or they want um, certain status or, you know, there's a lot of different reasons, but something that I've learned, I, I was divorced a few years ago. And for that exact reason, we were on two different visions. Right. And so we split up um, and I had to become very comfortable with being alone. And I was like, I'm not going to settle for a lesser partner for the sake of not being alone or for the sake of, you know, going to parties with some girl, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, you know, or, or just so I can get laid, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you have to be comfortable cutting it off in a fucking heartbeat. And that's where people, uh, I think, uh, make the mistake a lot of times is they'll let little things trickle and build and build. And I told uh, my current uh, fiance, that um, I've been dating for two years now. I told her on day one, well, not day one, but when we started actually getting serious, you know, I told her, I said, look, I don't care how serious we get. I will cut you off overnight. Like, like we will be the end like that. If this is, if you, if you are not, 
going down the same path as me because I'm not going to do that again. And that goes, we're saying obviously from a guy's perspective, that goes for girls too. Like if your boyfriend isn't supporting you in that vision, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be on that same path, right? Absolutely. And this goes with everybody in your life, right? These low frequency individuals around you, you have to cut them off. You have to rip it off like a fucking bandaid, right? There's way too much peeling off slowly, right? If they do not have that frequency, that you are uh, 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 desiring in your life. If they don't have that vision, if they're not for you, they're fucking against you and get it the fuck out, rip it off and throw it in the fucking trash. Yeah, I agree. Look at that. Who, who knew Matt Brown love advice? I think it's a, a new, a new, uh, a new, <laughs> well, a that, new... Kind of, that was kind of turned in, you know, it's interesting. That one kind of turned into entire life advice. It's but it's true. You, you know, I think I've made the reason that I think that I, I can speak on this is because I've made the mistake for many years, as a matter of fact. Uh, people would talk about, you know, I've, we've talked about before the the small town that I grew up in and, um, you know, some of those negative people. And, you know, I would go back and, and, you know, all the friends would hit me up, excuse me, old friends, but hey, come hang out or, you know, they'd be, hey, come my wedding or, you know, whatever, this and that. And I'm like, I don't even go. I don't even want to come see you because if you're not on that path that I'm on, like I'm perfectly fine being alone. I can sit in my fucking house by myself with no one. And the truth of the matter is these days in the the world that we live in, we're never alone. Right. Uh, I, I got, I can communicate with millions, if not billions of people with this little fucking phone in my pocket all day long. I'm not alone, but I'm comfortable completely alone. So, so if you're not on that path with me, then you're just against me and there's no gray areas. It's black or it's white. I love it. I love it. Keep sending those questions. Ask Matt Brown. You got questions. I got a, I got a ton this week, so I'm going to save some for future episodes because we got a bunch of questions. As I put that tweet out, we got a ton of questions. So uh, if you didn't get your question answered this week, continue to send them over. I will keep track of them, and you will get your advice answered by the one and only Matt Brown. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Of course, next week we're going to be leading into the big pay-per-view UFC 285, the return of John Jones. Jonathan Dwight Jones is back. Taking on Cyril Gone in the main event. Of course, Valentina Shevchenko taking on uh, Alexa Grasso. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. Hopefully, uh, we're going to have a special guest join us next week to help us break down some of those fights. I don't want to announce it yet because obviously we got to work with timing and everything, but hopefully that works out to have a guest on with us next week to break down some fights. Uh, as always, if you want to check out the podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, you can always check us out on uh, our website, MMAfighting.com. Matt, where can people check out and support you? Uh, obviously, the fight coming around the corner i know you are going to have people want to support you so where can they find your stuff at i am the immortal twitter instagram you know it at the immortal coffee twitter and instagram best coffee you ever had no crash coffee um what else we got routine r-o-r-o-o-t-i-n-e those are my boys sponsoring me our routine.co um the best uh, multivitamin you'll ever have. They take your DNA, take your blood, figure out what you're deficient in, figure out where you're at, and they're going to make your, uh, you know, bring everything up in congruency with the way it's supposed to be. 
So I think that's all I got today. <laughs> all right. We'll be back next week with more fighter versus writers. We get ready for UFC 285. Want to say a big thank you as always to everyone that tunes in and we will see you next week for another edition of the fighter versus the writer. Thanks for tuning in. See you then. Vox Media Podcast Network.